Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Golshevsky, paediatrician and father of three. Welcome to my podcast, Dr. Golly and the Experts. Each episode, I'm joined by a parent who has faced an enormous challenge in raising their child and come out the other side as the expert. Our two experts today are legends in the world of AFL, Jared Ruffhead and Jordan Lewis. For those not familiar with Aussie rules, I think it's crucial to understand just how huge these two individuals are. Jared was pick number two in the 2004 National Draft. Jordan picked seven in the same year. Buddy Franklin between them at pick five. It was a year when the Hawthorne Football Club brought in a little-known Port Adelaide assistant coach by the name of Alastair Clarkson, and these turned into the building blocks for one of the greatest dynasties in Australian rules football history. In this studio right now, there's more than 600 games of experience. There are eight premiership medals, three All-Australian selections, and one Coleman medal. You're both clearly legends of the game, but that's not why you're here. Today, you're both experts, and we're talking about the importance of sleep, and specifically with high-performance athletes, and even more specifically, when you then introduce a new baby into the household. So, Jordan, you've got four boys. You're first born in 2015. Uh, You had three boys by retirement. Jared, you had Pippa in your second last year of playing. Given the age when footballers tend to play, when they're peaking their careers, it's common that you guys are having children during your playing day. So what I want to begin with is what is the feeling around footy clubs when it comes to potentially missing games due to the birth of your child? Yeah, well, the famous Lee Matthews used to tell his players to never conceive in January. Um <laughs> That being nine months until September, <laughs> um, <laughs> so they wouldn't wouldn't have a decision to make at that time. When, as an athlete and as a, a footballer in particular, that was probably the most important time of your career. I, I certainly didn't listen to that advice. Uh, our, our first one was conceived in January and then born in September, around that time. So this was um, this was Freddie born one week. Before your fourth grand final. For the grand final, yeah. So uh, yeah. so we play in Perth on a... Friday night. So Ruffy and I work really well together. I, I've, <laughs> I've sort of got like a vague idea what happened, but when I look to Ruffy for really specific times <laughs> and dates, um, he's there for me. So we, we play in Perth on a Friday night. Yep. Uh, night game and then... Um, is this just like you carrying him throughout his whole career? No, no, yeah. no. This is The funny thing is we roomed together for the whole entirety of our Hawthorne careers. So we could basically tell you our exact routine from the moment we got <laughs> off the plane to almost coming back to Melbourne. So the Friday night we played Fremantle, we beat them, we caught the red eye home, we land Saturday morning at, you know, five and then... I think you do, you you go, don't you? I spend the day at home with, with Lucy and then everything sort of starts to happen happened that night and then the the following morning I remember she was in hospital uh, they were monitoring everything and it was about 5am when she sent me a, a text message to basically say everything's okay everything's good if you, you know if you want to cruise in it at any time that that's fine so I thought I may as well get up now have a shower get dressed and go get a coffee and as I was making my coffee order I just get this text message get the fuck in here. <laughs> I'm like, 
Well, that escalated. <laughs> so do I get my, do I wait for my coffee when I get into the car? And uh, so I get my coffee and then head into. So you, you did get the yeah. coffee. Absolutely. <laughs> of course yeah. it is. Uh, you know how expensive coffee are these days. <laughs> this I'm is 2015, mate. I'm going to wait, waste $4.50. So I get the coffee, head into the, into the hospital and yeah, everything's sort of happening at, at that point, which you know, it's quite a rush you know, for, for being the first time in that current situation. We, we come from an environment where game day is chaotic, but everything else is controlled and measured. And we go into this environment where one, we're not skilled at any of it and you hand yourself over effectively to the medical staff. And two, it's just such a buzz and such anticipation. You know, we didn't know the sex of our child. So that, all that was just a great experience. And speaking of handing yourself over, Lucy was induced. Yeah. To specifically deliver prior to the grand final. Yeah. So we were always in consultation with our obstetrician and Freddie had reached full term and was, and was over. Yes, there was a game the following week, but if it in any case had have actually impacted the, the birth and the child that was, was currently inside, we would have clearly made a decision around the health and well-being of the child first and foremost. But everything pointed towards Lucy being over. The child was fit and healthy and nothing could really be achieved in the next couple of days. So the time came to, to get him out and yeah, it was a really surreal experience. Now, Jared, Pippa was born in Feb, yep. but Will's timing was a bit more complicated. Uh, it was, yeah, due to COVID and the hubs and whatnot with the AFL, I wasn't playing, obviously. So everything shut down in Victoria, I think, end of July. We had an, an option to maybe get him induced, which would have allowed us a couple of days to basically get on the plane, I think five days. But we wait, we hung back. Um, Will was born end of July and then September the 1st, we had to go up to the hub. So quite a different experience in terms of at that time, Pip wasn't allowed in the hospital to visit her little brother. I was lucky that I was able to come and go, which I think up until a couple of months after that, you weren't allowed to even leave the hospital. If you were going to go, you weren't allowed to come back. So from that point of view, it was a little bit different knowing that you're working from home, but then all of a sudden you've got to pack up your family and move to Queensland for eight weeks and quarantine and, and whatnot. So a little bit different, but you know, we weren't in the mindset of having to back up each week to play. So um, luckily for me, I haven't had to be put in that situation where I've had to choose. But if you were in that situation, you feel like never in doubt you would be at the birth of your child? Uh, yeah. I mean, we've spoken off air and, you know, you ask what would you do grand final day? I, I, I don't, you just don't know. You don't know the hypotheticals and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, during the year, it's probably an easy decision. You just go to the birth because post- career and understanding, I suppose, perspective in life, yeah, what's two hours of footy compared to seeing your child be born? And Jordan, would you play a grand final or be at the birth of your child? Yeah, I think if you had have asked me that prior to having kids, it would have been a really blasé answer. Like, oh, of course, you know, we can play footy and, you know, the, the chances of a baby coming within that two-hour period of a game day would be relatively small. But I think once you're once you've had a child and witnessed your wife or partner go through that experience, I, I could honestly say with hand on heart that no matter what the game was, whether it be a, a grand final or a normal game, I wouldn't miss the birth of my child for, for anything. Nothing would come close to 
to being in competition with seeing the birth of your child that would actually draw you out of that situation. And you both had experience at two footy clubs each, and now you, you Jared, are on the coaching end. How do the footy clubs approach this? What, what, what do clubs tell players? How do they advise them? I don't know if you, if you can really. It's up to the individ- each individual. We had a player. Do we have one or two? We, had de- we definitely had one player head back in 21 it was when there was no footy in Victoria and we were in Sydney or Queensland and one player actually came home for the birth of their child and also just the support around the family as well. I know one of the other boys had twins and he also made the decision to come home to support his wife. So, I mean, it's, yeah, the easiest way is what Jordan said of the story at the start, just don't conceive in January (laughs) and you can make life a lot Well, sometimes you don't have a choice. I know what you mean, but yeah, like. But it is a conversation that, that gets spoken about. And I, and I think times have changed. Like certainly if we were having this conversation in the eighties or the nineties, not necessarily just footballers, but just parents in general and dads in general, their priorities have certainly shifted to sort of the modern way that, that parenting is done. And clubs right now would be fully supportive of any player, male or female that were to be at the birth of, of their child. There wouldn't be any, any bad blood or any resentment if that was the case. Before we talk about sleep and the impact that a newborn has on the whole family unit sleep, Jared, you've got a very unique view on family and children in particular, uh, because in the middle of your career, you got hit with a giant dose of perspective. Mm-hmm. Can you talk us through that? So in 2015 and 16, I had... Um, first of all, melanoma on my lip that was cut out and was all good. And then in 2016, I was diagnosed with four tumours on the lungs and, yeah, went through, I suppose, a, a different trial-based treatment. I was in at Peter Mac, you know, three or four times over a, three or four months getting different dosages when I was on a trial. So it wasn't part of the PBS. So it was all new to me. So, you know, footy was the furthest. I, all I'd known up until that stage was footy and footy was everything. So then when you oncologists say I expect you to live to be a granddad and whatnot that again means more than the two hours of footy each weekend so you know I hadn't had kids up until that stage so then to finally have Pippa and then Will come along as well I guess now you understand what he was meaning by you know you can live to be a granddad. Now just for context Ruffy the the condition that you were diagnosed with it's called metastatic melanoma so the initial cancer appeared on the lip and then was treated, it came back and moved to other parts of the body. That's what metastatic means. And the prognosis, the likely survival of metastatic melanoma is extremely low. You know, the figures are are really, they're awful. And even now with these incredible therapies, one of which you responded so brilliantly to, even now the five-year survival, that's how we measure the seriousness of a diagnosis. The five-year survival for metastatic melanoma is not much more than 10%. It's really, really low. So I remember when your diagnosis became public knowledge, I remember speaking to my brother about it. He, he's also medical. And we just, we were so upset when we heard it because we know the outcomes are they're catastrophic. They're, they're, they're not good. And this was before these trials were in place. Did it ever cross your mind that you wouldn't be around? 
no, to have a family. No, 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 no. Now, if you ask others, don't ask him because he'll get emotional. But if you ask, um, and also my wife, they, I mean, they look at Google and they probably think the worst. And of course, you know, when you associate melanoma with chemo and radiation and whatnot, and especially having tumors on your lungs, it's obviously not good. For mine, I suppose, the, the beauty of being at a football club and the lessons you learn on resilience and whatnot and understand that if you get um, an injury and the, and the physios and doctors say you're going to be out for this amount of time, you can just put your mind to that and understand, right, that's all we need for rehab. So initially when they told me with the diagnosis that you're going to be out potentially for 18 months, it's like, right, I can change my mindset to know that it's going to be 18 months of a bit of pain, but eventually I can get back and see the finish line. So for mine, when I was told 18 months, it's like, okay, let's put that to the back of my mind and just work forward on what we have to do. Don't go looking to try and get extra treatment or different avenues of, of support. I guess you've got the professionals. So in my case, it was Grant and Donna, the oncologist and nurse, and let's not question them. Let's just be open and honest. It'd be like, you know, you giving me goal tips, mate, and me telling you how to deal with kids. It's... um. You're the professional, so there's no point questioning them. And what about you, Jordan? How did you take it? How did the players, the the mates, the club take it and support Jared and Sarah? I would imagine the hardest thing when you're dealt with this type of diagnosis is to actually have to tell people and have those convers- those repeat conversations and, and, and for them to know that you're dealing with it in your own way. So for us, initially, Lucy and I, it was to be there for him to be able to have those conversations with his family. And then it was all about support and being there for Sarah, but also being there for for Ruffy with anything that sort of needed to happen. I mean, he didn't mention that he was going through a house, renova- house renovation at the time. So on top of all that, you know, you think of a picture of a double-fronted Victorian home with literally two rooms. So the, the, back, <laughs> the back of the house has been cut off. You've got your bedroom and then the other, the spare room. <laughs> And I mean, this, this is how stubborn he is. He wouldn't move out to, to get into a bigger house. He wanted to live. Well, we there. had a dog and a cat. So to yeah. try and get a six month rental for a dog and a cat, it's not worth it. But then in, in saying that you wanted to be somewhere where you want familiarity, right? Like, so you, you wanted to mm. go through that treatment and, and drive up the street you've been driving up and go to the coffee, yeah, all that sort of stuff. So then it was about, okay, so you provide that support. How can we just make his life as normal as possible? So I would imagine the last thing that he wants to talk about every day is how he's going, what's going on, what treatment he's doing, all this sort of stuff. So to be as normal as you possibly could and, you know, to be there when he was having treatment, I was at the last treatment that he had. And it's a funny experience. I mean, it was such a relaxed type of atmosphere, wasn't it? When you just sit in a chair and the IV gets hooked up, but it's like, this is, this is so powerful. Like what, what's going into your body is so powerful, but it was such a simple process if that makes sense but yeah he, I mean he was really resilient he, he came to my 250th in Brisbane so that I would imagine those things along the way would help him mentally to stay sane did you spend a lot of time at the footy club yeah that was effectively the second home and the place you could go to feel normal initially the boys you know they probably were a bit iffy in terms of how to communicate and what to ask and stuff like that but as soon as they saw blokes hanging shit on you and just treating you normal. That made me feel as comfortable as what it probably made them feel as well. Elite athletes have a higher sleep requirement than the general population because of the amount of physical training and the exertion that you you do. It's very well documented. LeBron James 
gets 12 hours of sleep a night. Usain Bolt, when he was competing, was 10 hours. Roger Federer, 12 hours. What is the sleep focus at footy clubs? It's relatively the same. And there was always an emphasis on hours before midnight as a deep sleep. And we, we would do sleep trials and, um, and wear bracelets you know, throughout periods. And our head of fitness at the time, Andrew Russell, was massive on sleep. So he was a big advocate for it. And I, I took it pretty seriously. Like I'd be in bed at sort of eight every night and, you know, try and get to sleep straight away. Wouldn't have a phone in the room and, and try and read and then go to sleep that way. And then I, I nearly sort of became obsessed with it, which is, which is a funny sort of thing. But I, I just felt like uh, throughout my career, if I could get uh, an ample amount of massage uh, and an ample amount of sleep, those two things I felt benefited me far more than like a stretch or yeah, anything like that. I hate stretching, but I, I loved sleep. And yep. Jared, you as well, you're at St Kilda now mm-hmm. and tell us what they're doing with regard to sleep research. Yeah, so there's, we've got a doctor who is a, sp- a sleep specialist and I think St Kilda and, and maybe I think it's the Melbourne Storm that are potentially the only two clubs that have this in correlation with, I think it's Monash Uni. I've seen the players over the last couple of years have the sleep watches, have the the goggles on at night, have the saliva testing, all these different things to try and ultimately work out. Then when they give that data back to the doctors and whatnot, as they can map out when's the best time for the players to have naps, when's their ultimate, you know, their best time to wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, all this kind of thing to then effectively perform at their, at their peak on game day. So, from where it's come from, you know, back in the day where we'd fly home from Perth, catch a red eye, and you'd almost try and sleep all day to try and catch up on sleep to now, you know, when we when we used to fly back from Perth, it was go to bed for a couple of hours, get up, try not to nap during the day, and go to bed an hour earlier each night for the next three, and effectively that's your way of catching up. So, yeah, it's it's amazing, I suppose, when you're growing up and as kids you don't really think about it, but as soon as you step inside a, a professional footy club, how quickly they try and ingrain this in you. I'm interested to know when it changes though. I mean, my boys are up at 5.30, right? And they've still got energy at the end of the day. So, but I mean, they're in bed by sort of 6, 6.30. So they, yeah, they nearly get 12 hours. That's perfect. It's, yeah. How do you, how do you get kids to sleep longer? Well, one of the, the tricks that we Morgan. use is actually yeah. getting them to bed earlier. Yeah. It's a, a lot of parents are quite surprised by that. But if you get them to bed half an hour, 45 minutes earlier, they tend to sleep longer. Okay. Give it a go. But I think in saying that and relating it back to sleep and high performance, once again, because we were fortunate enough to play in an era where we were quite successful, so you would play in big games, which would cause anxiety the night before the game. What became really important was two nights before a game and the sleep that we were able to bank then, um, understanding the night before a game because of the performance anxiety, you might have a bit of a rocky sleep. So it was always, you know, on a Saturday grand final, the Thursday night is the most important night you'll have for the week because Friday night you might be feel, you might feeling struggle. a little nervous. Mm. Yeah. Now throw a baby into the mix and all of a sudden sleep becomes far more complicated because it's not just you. And, uh, I mean, guys like Sam Mitchell, your former teammate, 
used to sleep in hotels away from home the night before games. Lots of players sleep in other rooms in their houses. How did the two of you, Jared, I'll start with you, how did you approach that newborn period in your house? Together, I guess, with Sarah. Yeah, there was no, I I didn't separate myself from our room. We had Pip across the the hall in her room. So um, if either of us needed to get up during the night, we would. There wasn't any, hey, I'll do this you know, this shift the night before, I was doing dream feeds and whatnot night before games and stuff like that. I, I suppose for a, a you know, first-time father, it was just you're an open book, really. You try and take as much in as you can because, you know, hopefully down the line you're going to have more, so you want to be prepared. But I suppose at that stage of my footy career too, going back to the perspective side of things, I, I like, don't get me wrong, footy meant, meant a lot to me, but it didn't mean as much as it probably did once you have kids. So um, for mine... It was just like, well, anywhere you can help Sarah, I would do that. And that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to have the two of you on this episode, because I do look after a number of footy players and by far the most common scenario that I see, and in other sporting codes as well, is the athlete being heavily protected in another room, uh, not disturbed, hours at a time, whatever it may be. But with the two of you, it was almost like you were surprised that I was asking the question. Like your response then, Jared, like, of course I was, I'm, I'm a dad, yeah, yeah, of course yeah, I'm involved yeah. and Jordan, you're ex- exactly the same. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little bit different, but yeah, I, I, we always slept in the same room when Freddie came along. Um, the only real difference in, he- in hearing what Ruffy says is that I, I never got up during the night. So we got great advice from Lucy's mum when we first had Freddie and she, and she basically said that there's no point having two parents who are sleep deprived throughout the night. So if you can have one that is up and doing the work and then you know, when morning comes around, then the other one basically takes over. So that was really our uh, our way of dealing with it early on. Lucy would get up throughout the night. She was lucky to be breastfeeding. So she did that throughout the night. And then once the morning came around, I'm a morning person, I've had a good night's sleep. So then I would take Freddie either out of the house or take him to a room where Lucy could continue to to sort of sleep the, the morning and was that the same case when the twins came along? Because you were still playing when you had the twins. Yeah, the twins, hmm. I, I look at that period and it's just a blur. I was going to say, it, do you remember it? It, it seriously is. Like, I, I can't, I was, I was talking to Lucy before coming on here. I'm like, just tell me more specifics. I want more, <laughs> I want more specifics. But going back to that, I, whenever we had a bad night with Freddie or a bad day with Freddie, I would always reference in my own mind, Sam Mitchell. I'm like, whatever I'm dealing with right now, he's dealing with, on a factor of three. So he's got three and he had three under one for a period of time. So what I'm dealing with is insignificant compared to what he's dealing with. So just get up and, and fight on with it. And then the ironic thing is I was pretty much in the same situation, having Freddie at sort of 18 months and then twins were born. So it was a blur. It's extremely difficult. And, and that sort of went throughout the night. That's when I was required to, to help out and, Looking back now, we probably should have got more help than we did at the time. We didn't really have any overnight help. Um, we had some help during the day, but Lucy, whether rightly or wrongly, wanted to do a lot of it herself. Um, so yeah, anyone who's had twins, everything is amplified. It's, it's a pretty difficult time in your life. But I think the saving grace for a period of time, if you could take one thing out of, out of COVID, was I was able to be at home a lot through through the important years of their, of their development. Do you think, Jared, the sleep deprivation affected your performance on the field? We were lucky. Pip's been a pretty good sleeper the whole way through. Will, on the other hand, is a little bit different. But 
<clears throat> oh, He's a little shit, is he? Yeah, he can be. <laughs> yeah. God love him. <laughs> um, oh, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I never looked at it like that. I thought I was coming towards the end of my career anyway, so it wasn't as if I was going to try and look for blaming someone and an 18-month-old daughter is probably not the best person to blame anyway. <laughs> so, no, nah, look, I, I I look back and just you think, well, I, we got through it, but also we've achieved it. So it's like a pat on the back to both parents because, you know, we had one and two. They, they went from one to three. So in a way it's like at the end of the day, you deserve a pat on the back because you've been able to do, you know, keep five people alive and still play professional league footy at the same time. It's a pretty good achievement. And Jordan, do you feel like being sleep deprived ever affected your performance? Um, Yeah, I think as, as athletes, you look for any type of motivation and you look for excuses that could potentially be used, but use, use it in a different way. And, and yeah, I, I would always, after a bad night's sleep, if I had a bad night's sleep and it was either a training session or a game, I would I would tell myself that you can't play bad today because of this reason. So you effectively just try and cancel it out of your out of your mind right away. And you know, you just you don't use that as as an excuse like like what Ruffy said. It's um you know, it's funny what what you go to in, in times of performance and you know, whether it be the opposition that you that you don't like or something that's happened at home that hasn't gone your way. Football is, it's the, a lot of the ability to actually shut off from the outside world and to be able to perform with a really clear conscience. And that's sometimes used motivation from different things. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because you go from a career where everything's relatively organized to a, a home life where everything's chaotic. And my wife has been fantastic. She's been lucky enough to be a primary school teacher. So she's dealt with kids a lot of her life and I think I don't know I always think back and say and think that maybe I would have been a, a really impatient parent if it wasn't for her she's really taught me to sort of calm down and and let things take their course beautiful yeah. I'm still impatient <laughs> yeah I don't <laughs> get me wrong there's, there's certain times when you know the, but I think from a from a whole uh, yeah it's that's certainly been a, a big development thing for me what was it like being away from your family when you had to travel interstate for games? We played well, probably eight years into our career where we'd room together every interstate trip. And then the option came in from the AFL to actually have your own rooms. So anyone who was either a father or other reasons, you could actually have your own room to get a good night's sleep. But we didn't decide to take that up because I think you just want to be around other people who are actually, who are actually going through the same thing. And even we did this trip overseas just recently and it was Ruffy, Luke Hodge and I that went overseas. And it sort of it sits more comfortably doing that with fathers who have got kids at home so they're going through the same shit that you're going through at home rather than if I went away with three single guys who are just you know, can't relate. in their own bubble and, and can't relax. So, yeah, I think clearly the older you get, you hang around like-minded people and people who are going through similar things. Jared, was your performance affected when you weren't around your family? Well, yeah, because you're worried at what's happening at home and making sure that everything's okay. Because when you leave, say you play a Melbourne game and you leave home and, you know, you know that Sarah and the kids are all right, you can drive to the game, no worries. But when you're interstate, you know, you're in Perth or Adelaide or Queensland, it's not as easy just to 
jump on a plane and get be, say I'll be home in an hour or so. So making sure that everything is all right at home helps you play better as well. It's only human, right? Like, like whatever line of work, if if something's not right at home, it, it actually controls you completely the way that you think. Yeah, um, so doesn't matter just, what so you, you do. Just, so yeah, and. I mean, we can only really speak about our game, but our game is based on like one second, two second decision making sort of stuff. So if your mind is elsewhere and then you're in the cut and thrust of it and you have to make a decision, it's, you can have a pretty off day. Now you mentioned, Jordan, about the AFL, the changes that they brought in. Um, and they're really behind this. They're, they're, they're really backing it up. I've met with Dr. Kate Hall, who's the, um, she's, uh, the head of mental health and wellbeing at the AFL and, and she's offered all clubs, um, not just the players, but the, the partners, staff and family sessions with me and access to the, to the online sleep program to try to improve sleep for, for all of these families. Do you see, Jared, do you see the clubs taking this up? Do you see them getting behind it and supporting this as well? So I guess for players, it's understanding that if you if you are going to have kids, actually speak to the club and understand what's on for support for you and your partner because, you know, someone who may have a child that's struggling with sleep can easily access you or access others. So for mine, I think clubs could probably be better in terms of offering it to players, but also too, if the AFLPA are in charge, then offering it to all players and understanding that this is going on. So guys that are now out and not only dealing with, you know, the adjustment of going from player to work life can access this as well. Yeah, I th- I think it's one of those things that's a necessity. It's, I think if you look at a, a child and you go, if they're healthy is fine, what are the two other things that causes the mo- that cause the most grief in a household? It's how much are they sleeping and how much are they eating? Always. You know, and they're, and they're the two things that you can just, you can never get right. Like, you know, most of our conversations about how many, how many hours did the kids sleep last night? Oh, it's like, like the first question like, you have dinner when they go, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, if you can try and, and, and most of it is about just, you know, like your stuff is just to give them tips and tricks and just reassurance that, you know, what they're doing is, is okay because everyone doubts themselves and especially in an environment where you're not, you're not upskilled to fix the issues at, at hand. Um, so I think you know, I've referred so many people to, to you, one, to look after their children, but two, certainly to try and help them with their sleep. Um, and I think, I think Ruffy's right. I, I think if, if it's a, a thing that clubs can, can look at more and, and how do they help athletes to, to deal with that side of their, their professional life, I think, it's a, I think it's a great thing. Injuries in footy. There's a lot of talk about concussion now in the AFL and um, the AFL's approach to it. When you're playing, what are your thoughts on injuries? And specifically, I'm talking about the potential for injuries that have long-term effects and could, for example, impact how you parent. Speaking from my own personal injuries, I've had, mine have all been lower limb injuries. So I've had three scopes on my left knee, a PCL reco on my right, two Achilles repairs on the left, and then two ankle scopes. So for mine, I was lucky that I didn't get I was never concussed. I was never no shoulders, hands, fingers, anything like that. But you know, you you see guys now that have got knee replacements or ankle fusions and you know degenerative hips that need replacing as well. You know, you probably ask yourself, is it all worth it? And some of these guys that have had hip replacements and whatnot haven't even played at AFL level. So now it's just a matter of making sure you're staying reasonably fit to be able to run around with the kids when they get older. 
And Jordan, you were all fingers, wrists, and he was the opposite. He was the opposite. Complete opposite. Does that does it play in your mind? Not just now, but also when you're actually playing. Um, No, it it doesn't. I think now now it does. I was um, I had two concussions, two instances where I was where I was knocked out. One in under 18s, and then one in one in senior level. And I think the thing that scares or me the most is the stuff that you can't see so fingers and wrists and shoulders and whatever it's obvious you know some get repaired some don't but that's that's visible where and reading the stuff um, of late of, of players who have come out of the game and there's a lot of factors that go into it but a lot of them are suffering from repeated head knocks and and so that that stuff worries you a little bit because you've got no control over that um that is a thing that uh, you know, happens later in life if it if it happens. So that worries me a little bit. That's why I just think, you know, right now you just got to maximize maximize the way that you way that you father the way that you know how much you can be around or um, the way that you bring your kids up because you sort of don't really know what's going to happen in the future. And you know, touch wood, we hopefully we're okay, but you just never know. Now talking about being a dad. Jared, what would you say is your peak, highest, best dad moment? Uh, it, it, for mine, it's every day when you get home. So you park the car, you walk in, and as soon we've got a long hallway. So as soon as they know, they hear the gate shut or they hear the door open, when they run towards you and just yell out, Dad, and you could have had the worst day in the world, you could have had the you know the shit to go on. They don't care. They don't know. It's like footy. They don't care if you played a good one or a bad one, or you know, and smile on their on their face when they run towards you. And then you pick them up and give them a hug is the best, you know, 15, 20 seconds of the day that you can have at the end of the day. And Jordan, same question to you. Uh, yeah, I I would say the same thing. For me, to add another little bit onto that, I think when you see your kids interact together and a lot of it is not nice <laughs> when they want to belt the shit out of each other. But when they show that moment of vulnerability and they actually are helping each other out and, and so for you to sit back and observe that, I think it's... Yeah, yeah so you can sit back and just relax when they're actually <laughs> yeah, playing yeah, nicely. Yeah. It's like, oh, just I can just wait. get back to the emails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I think that's always lovely to see. And, and the other things you get little, um, little moments of joy is when your kids... I don't know. I'm big on manners. So when your kids say thank you to people, when your kids say hello and use, you know, first names and stuff like that, I just, I find all those little moments, you know, fill you with a little bit of joy. What, what about sport? What about sport with your own kids? Like, do you want your kids to play sport? Do you care? Are you pushing them in a certain direction or away from sport? Will I push my boys to play sport? Yes. I, I, I think... I think there's something in it that's it's good to be out there being fit and healthy, be challenged, you know, having to deal with wins and losses and, and to learn new skill sets and meet new friends and will they play footy? It doesn't it doesn't bother me. I, I'm the way that I was brought up, my my dad was very much sit at the back of the room or stand on the open side of the, the footy field and not have any input whatsoever and just let me find my own way. And that's the way that, that I'll that I'll parent my kids. I, I just can't stand parents and we've been lucky enough to be involved at an elite level. Parents who stand on the sidelines and live vicariously through their kids. That, that is my pet hate. And the more I can get away from that, listening to those parents, the happier I am and the more enjoyable I think 
watching my kids play sport is. Ruffy? So Pips, we just let her do whatever she wants. So at the moment we've we've recently finished karate. Um, <laughs> she is doing ballet, swimming, tennis, basically anything that she wants to do, we'll just let her have a crack. So Will, he just jumps on the end, so he gets tired. <laughs> There's tennis rackets, there's balls. There's a nut there. They are both outdoor kids, so that's great. She enjoys gymnastics, the monkey bars and all this kind of thing. So I guess for them, it's just finding out what they like and what they enjoy. And so far, it's being outside and doing stuff with others, which is great. Now, what do you like as a parent? Me? Yeah, that's a good sport. I was going to say that same oh, question. Oh, no one. I'm you are the one asking the question. It's like, yeah, because so. no, some of these we could ask you too. How would you respond? <laughs> okay. I got to say, my answer to the, the the best dad moment is exactly the same as both of yours. Yeah. So I've got this mm. this big sort of open space at the front of the house, and when I walk through the door, to see the three kids and the dog just sort of bound down that corridor yeah. is it, it makes whatever shit you dealt with during the day it just as you said it melts away. Correct. It is the best thing ever. How am I with my kids? I encourage. I don't push. I will sometimes push them out of their comfort zone. Mm. So you know. With my daughter, for example, she was not keen on basketball. Um, I knew that she would enjoy it. I knew that she'd be good at it. I knew how beneficial it was from a social point of view, from a, a physical point of view. So I just encouraged gently and, and she pushed her out of her comfort zone. This is, you know, a child that didn't know what a basketball was to all of a sudden on the court. And two seasons later, she is the team MVP. She's absolutely loving it. She is devastated if she has to miss even a training session. Yeah. Like she mm. absolutely loves it. And that's all coming from her. Yeah. So I think that um, as a parent, sometimes you, you'd know better and you might just need to be a step ahead and encourage and guide and nudge and, you know, but, um, but pushy, no, I'm certainly not pushy, not, yeah. not on the sporting field, not with, uh, academics either. Now, speaking of mates, between you, yeah. uh, you guys, Shane Crawford, Luke Hodge, you got like almost more than a dozen father son selections for Hawthorne <laughs> and, and, blokes, a, and yeah. a father daughter. Any plans for more kids? Uh, not, not for me. No, absolutely She's not. not. Not even a, a moment's hesitation. No, there. I mean, I, uh, I, I'm happy to, but as, hey, uh, as cost of living uh, skyrockets. I said to Lucy, we can move to the country. Uh, I'm happy to move back to Warrnambool and sell up everything and live a really... With Lucy? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trade-off. Could you imagine if I went again and, yeah, and no. I got twins again? Yeah. Uh, it's... Well, you, you've recently purchased the uh, Key Carnival, so... Yeah, it's, which is well, not, it's... not one of the family dealerships, so we don't plug them too much. Um, <laughs> just, just a car, mate. Four wheels and four or more. You need a sliding door, don't you? <laughs> Fantastic, gentlemen. I cannot thank you enough for joining us on this podcast episode. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for Doc. having us. That was Jared Ruffhead and Jordan Lewis. If you're a dad or dad to be, I'm proud to be a clinical ambassador for SMS for Dads, a free text message subscription helping fathers understand and connect with their baby and partner. It also checks in on their well-being and offers professional support when needed. And to enjoy more stories like this one, please like, follow and share Dr. Golly and the experts wherever you listen. To enjoy more parenting stories like this one, please like, follow and share Dr. Golly and the experts wherever you listen.